0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff,
1: and management. CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry. Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network with your host Sanjo Gall. All comments, views and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall.
2: Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit ciotalknetwork.com and our topic for today is getting the extraordinary Done, and we have Amir Dabirian, who's the Chief Information Officer with California State University, Fullerton. Uh, hi, Amir, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Uh, good morning to you, and we have Dave Ulrich, who's the Rensis Likert Prof- uh, Professor of Business, Ross School of Business, uh, at University of Michigan, and he's an author of a brand new book, Victory Through Organization. Hi, Dave, how are you?
3: Hi, thanks for
2: inviting me. Oh, definitely. The honor is all uh, mine. Uh, Both of you great leaders. And here we are talking about people. And the reason we talk about people is we have organizations which are trying to go after their ambitious goals. They are trying to put together strategy and doing many other things to that end. But then when it comes to people, there are some leaders who would cringe. Others will say, okay, I'm working on it, but it's, it's still the toughest. But there's no I would not say no, but lesser confidence when it comes to the people issue. So we wanted to bring this up today, is that if you have regular people, not everyone is a leader, not everyone is a hero, and everyone has families and other obligations, how can you take those individuals, put them at the right place, having the right skills, and getting the right people in the first place, all of this together, to make sure that you are able to meet your objective? Is it possible, or is it going to be a continual battle? So starting with you, Amir. What are your thoughts on the people side? What has been your journey like? Uh, my journey always
4: uh, revolves around people. What, what makes us successful is people in the organization. When I look at an, a successful organization, I look at people are the most assets of that organization. They're the one that, that really creates success and failure. So especially paying attention to people and taking the organization and culture that's center around people and bring everything around it has been a key to my work in past 20 years as, as, as moving forward. I always look at human infrastructure as a, a key part of a strategy plan of the organization and information technology, which is my area that I work with.
2: So, so with, with that said, Dave, when you look at, and this is your area of expertise and, uh, or experience that you've had, what do you see the world doing with respect to people? Are we not, I mean, on one hand, we say we have a big challenge because of not being able to handle people, but then we also kind of give this a lip service and really not move forward and say, okay, we're going to crack this problem.
3: Sanjog, it's not a surprise that managing people is probably one of the trickiest things. In finance, you have spreadsheets and the numbers, sometimes they lie because of the people, but the numbers don't lie in marketing, it's around people. Uh, Any of us who are in relationships recognize that people are not always easy to manage, especially if you've had teenagers. Um, And that shows up in organizations. Uh, What we find is that the people side is absolutely, obviously critical, as Amir said so well. when I grew up a long time ago, my advisor and my mentor said organizations don't think people do, and and it's getting the ability to look behind the organization to think. But let me add another thing. Organizations don't think people do, but organizations shape how people think and behave. And so it's not just about people. It's about the setting in which the people operate. In fact, in our research, we found recently with a very large data set of 32,000 people and 1,400 businesses that... And I'll do this quickly for sake of time. But if you if you have two uh, hands, on the one hand is people and the quality of people, their skill set, their commitment, their engagement, and the people side. On the other hand is the organization, its culture, its capabilities, its systems, its processes. And we did a study to say if you had ten points to divide between those two, people and organization, which is the relative impact on business performance. And when we did the study, and we have it in our book that just came out, uh, Victory Through Organization, it's four-to-one organization. And so while people matter a great deal, you've got to have good people, competent, committed, contributing, meaning, all those good things. You've got to put them in an organizational system that allows their individual skills to be collectively stronger. And in fact, the four-to-one finding is just for us, actually, it's breathtaking. It's, it's you, you fight a war with talent. You have a victory through the organization.
2: So that's great uh, thought and, of course, a great strategy. Now, coming to you, Amir, look at what organizations have been doing and trying to do this for years, right? So they're saying, I'll give you the best, most conducive uh, culture. I'll, I'll try to give you an environment you will blossom. And we, we try to do it, but we have seen less than desirable results. So where are we falling short? What, what we're falling short is, again, as uh, just
4: was put in together, is understanding relationships with people. I think one of the key, key factors in culture of people is the work-life balance. I think work-life balance plays a key factor to organization and people. People like to come and work for companies and organizations that give them the best work life balance especially with millennials and new generation moving forward when you look at some of the statistics you could see that is really popping up more than anything more than a pay skills more than more than a culture they always want to make sure that you have an organization and culture that promotes work life balance so so that is a challenge especially in some organizations that are very rigid and very and it, it, especially in information technology. I mean, look at information technology. That plays a higher role than anything else because an individual has to really manage his work-life balance and be able to you know, complement what's happening in his home life with the work life. And I think that has been a challenge of organization. How do we take these people that are ordinary people having ordinary lives, bring them to organizations, and let them blossom? And I think the blossom piece needs to understand their relationships, us with them, and us with their home life. I think that's a key factor to make sure they're successful.
2: So here, um, Dave, very interestingly, we use the word work-life balance. Frankly, in my personal life, or many others that I know, with the mobile devices and 100%, 24-7 connectivity, there's nothing like a balance. People are trying to integrate their work and life, to see whatever is important at any given time you do it. That's at least I'm able to do. Personally, I'm telling, plus many others that I know, they are not able to separate out. And and if we don't separate it out, number one, when do you get the relaxation?
3: I'm curious, Sanjog, you just gave a great story. How do
2: you manage that? I mean, I just go ahead and essentially do what I need to. So yesterday, I was working on a proposal, right? And just finished, but meanwhile, I remembered that, okay, at uh, 6 o'clock, I have to go to my daughter's concert. And the the, the the proposal was not 100% ready, but I did know that if I did not do it now, if I came back at 8 o'clock and then started again, I'll still be able to get it done before morning. So I made the decision that um, for me, going and attending my daughter's concert is very important. So I did it and no, no, no harm done to anyone, and I was able to move forward. But if I were to think that, okay, you know what, I'll have to drop everything else and, and not come back and basically do a logical shift, there is no way I can predict my life from one day to another. And many of us have that situation today.
4: Can I answer that in, a, in, in, in two parts? One, I think organization needs to understand each of the employee's well-being, and be able to help them balance that work-life. So it is very important, for example, for my organization, it's extremely important that that employees take vacations and make sure they get disconnected at a certain time. It is important that, and, and so that's one piece of thing. So it is important if the management pay attention to work-life balance, just like the employee need to take you know attention to work-life balance, I think that becomes you know, part of the culture. The second piece of this is what I if, – if you have an employee or a person working on a position that he loves or she loves, and the person really does his own life, work-life balance to be able to make that work, because they, this continuum of being – the work being part of their life will, will, will make them happier in her personal life, and in his work life. So I think these are the two aspects of what I would like to do, make sure they love their jobs and that's what they want to do, okay? And make sure that the management pay attention to the work-life balance. You
3: know, we've studied talent for the last 30 years, the war for talent and other things. We've seen that there's three trends in this space. One is competence. That's the skills. That's the head. Do you have the skills to do a job in IT and marketing? The second is the, the hands and the feet. Do you show up? Are you engaged? There's a, been a lot of work around engagement um, and how do you create an engaged workforce? How do you build an employee value proposition? So you, you have the brain, you have the head, you have the competence, you have the commitment, the engagement with the hands and the feet. Where that's moving is to meaning. And it's kind of the third wave of managing talent. You can you can find bright people; they can show up at work every day. But do you really have their heart and soul? When we've studied that work, there are seven things that go into creating meaning within the employees, and we captured this in a book called The Why of Work. Uh, one is vision: Are you working for a purposeful company? Do you feel like your work has meaning? Where Amir works and where I work in universities. Vision is a key part and feeling like we're contributing. One is opportunity to learn and to grow and to do work that excites you. Three is incentive. Money does matter, not for everybody, but there's a threshold of money. Four is impact. Does your work make a difference? Do you see the outcomes? Five is communication, being part of the information flow. Six is community, working with people and relationships. And seventh is entrepreneurship. It's the work-life balance issue. It's one of the key things. One of the things we're finding in that meaning work is that we've traditionally asked engagement questions. Question one, do you like your boss? And it doesn't have much impact. Question two, does your boss give you the skills to do your job? That's better. Now the question is, to what extent do I do my best? to build a relationship with my boss. And in that work-life balance area, we're shifting the accountability for that from the organization to the individual. And Sanjo, your example was really good. You as an individual have entrepreneurship or autonomy to decide how you'll work with your daughter's game when you'll do your work. And, and shifting that responsibility from expecting the organization to take care of you, to you to be an agent, to take care of yourself is critical. But I don't want to miss the other six. That You've got to have organizations with compelling vision, opportunity, incentive, impact, communication. By the way, that stands for voice, V-O-I-C-E. When employees feel that voice, and work life is a piece of it, they then can begin to find meaning from whatever work they do.
2: Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, We'll be right back. And let's talk about the focus that we have in the sense of getting an individual to work at their maximum potential or in context of a team. Should we be developing individuals and think that somehow that that sum total of individuals working better or their maximum potential is going to get us there? Or there is more to it? Is there more organizational, more management or more team-based um, camaraderie that we need in place for us to get those regular staff to deliver extraordinary results. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. When it comes to business,
3: you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Or call 773-693-3919. Visit today.
1: Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sanjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com.
2: Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Dave, this is for you. When we look at success, that what we want, then leaders are looking at all the demands and changes which may be happening uh, in the outside environment and trying to adapt, right? You're trying to build resilience, relevance, and reliability in terms of what you want to be as a business. All of that done on other, other fronts, if you will, does it really flow into the people side as well to the same degree? And second, if they, it does, are we just saying, okay, you, Mr. Manager, go ahead and deal with your individuals who are in your team. And as a sum total, we'll get somewhere. Or is it like at a, at a more strategic group department, organization level planning? Or maybe actually, I would not say just planning, but actual thinking that how can we make that effective, and then it, it really means that you are investing in getting the people to do the best they can.
3: <laughs> what a great set of questions, I, uh, if we had two hours. Let me, let me try to capture that with, again, a context and some, some research. We, we look for the kind of holy grail that's going to help leaders and people be effective, Ten years ago, we were looking at emotional intelligence. Are you sensitive? Are you aware? Are you mindful? Do you have a sense of what's going on around you? That wave was really critical from about 2000 to 2010. The last five or six years, we've looked at what's called growth mindset, learning, agility, resilience. Great leaders and people who succeed in this complex and changing world, they do have an emotional mindset. This is a, an S-curve. It's foundational. It's foundational. But they're resilient, they learn, they grow, they continue to look for new stuff. In the last two years, we've begun to find a third wave. And it's the navigation of paradox. Paradox is what we've been talking about. It's work life. Do you manage work or do you manage life? And the answer is yes. Do you manage the individual, the paradox you raised in your question, or do you manage the team? And the answer is yes. That a great leader has this capacity to manage these paradoxes and we create guardrails. We say, in navigating this paradox, we don't solve the paradox, we navigate it. I will work with individuals when there's a person with a need. I was working with a great leader recently at a university and he had this incredible knack at a break in a meeting to go to people one-on-one, to sit down with them, to look at them, to see how they're doing. Then when the meeting started, he had the ability to manage the team and the organization and what we found is the successful leaders are emotionally intelligent. They navigate uh, grit, change, resilience, learning. And now in the third wave, they seem to manage and navigate, navigate more than manage, this inherent paradox.
2: So coming to you, Amir, let's, what, what Dave just mentioned about the way they, the organizations are trying to tackle, let's go specifically to see what you are able to do in your organization so that not only the individuals are feeling good about themselves as they come back from work and get back home and and feel good about their life in total, but also when you are having these people work in groups or as a department uh, basically be able to deliver to what the business wants, it is truly happening and, and what have you done to elevate it? And not just by hiring all the heroes, but getting the regular people, the regular staff to deliver the extraordinary results. So I want to keep hammering back that thought. Uh, uh, exactly. First
4: of all, uh, I agree with Dave. That's exactly what we're doing on an everyday basis. I think it's important to start from the top. I think it's important that the leader set a tone for the organization moving forward. And make sure that you have it Keep element of change in your organization and get the employees, get the people to work on an individual level and a team level. One of the things that I do all the time is I visit offices all the time. I go to individuals, ask them about their families. I know about their family life. I know how many kids they got. And I go and talk to them and make sure that they do have a work-life balance. So that plays a huge role of setting a culture, not just for that individual, but also all the way up the chain, make sure everybody understands that there's a value for that work-life balance and understanding the employees and people in this whole process. And the individual matters. So I look at it on two things. First, individual matters. And then, then the second thing I do is look at how the team works together. So we are not individuals. We work as a team. We work collaboratively. So I promote collaborations. I'll make sure everybody collaborates all the time. It's not about meeting to meeting. It's collaborating all the time. Creating a collaborative environment, I often get not one individual, then get a group of individuals and show them what we want to do to do this, etc., or things. When I want a group to do an extraordinary things or a team do an extraordinary things, I get them together. I bring them all together and make sure they're all working on the same project and same commitment. So, and I very, I want to make sure managers are there. So, so I will not do that. You know, look at the you know passing the buck all the way down to the chain. I'll make sure that the, both team matters and individual matters. Then I leave it to the management to make sure they take that to a next level.
2: So this is uh, very interesting, Amri, what you mentioned. So Dave, coming to you, so take an example where a, a very good star performer type of person is working with someone who has not been able to live up to their full potential for whatever reason. Are we expecting by by default that this person who was not at their full potential would get elevated or is it going to actually bring that other person's who was otherwise a star performer down or it's going to be, you know, uh, averaged out. So have we really, by creating this collaboration, which is a great tactic and we should collaborate, but what do we know, uh, how how have we measured to see if it really helped the team to come at that star performance level because the star performer was the one who was patched in with the, the, not a substandard, but a person who's trying to get there.
3: Let me share some research and then a story. Um, Again, in the research, we found that the organization has four times the impact on results as the individual. We see that in sports. In basketball, and we happen to be in basketball season this time of year, how often is the leading scorer, the best athlete, the, the leading scorer on the team that wins the championship? And the data is 15%. It's this four to one ratio. In soccer, how often is the leading scorer on the team that wins the uh, World Cup, the winner of the Golden Boot? And it's 20%. In movies, how often is the winner of the uh, actor or actress of the year Oscar on the movie that wins movie of the year? And it's 20%. This individual impact is so critical, but it's 20% of success. It's 80% tied to the organization. So what does that mean? I was working with uh, coaching the head of IT of a Global organization, and he was really good. He was smart. He had a hundred points of IQ. His team was a seventy. They weren't as smart as he was. And so, what would happen is every time they get into an IT project, they'd have a team discussion, and then he would go off and make the decision. Well, what was happening is he was creating without without bad intent. Learned helplessness because when he would go off and make the decision, it was a hundred percent. It was a better decision. And I said. You've got to change that process. And he said, I can't let bad decisions go forward. And if I have a better answer, I've got to do it. And my comment to him, and here's the end of this story, your job is to become a teacher. So in year one, you're a 100, your team is a 70. After you've made the decision, teach and teach your team what you did. So in year two, they're an 80. In year three, they're a 90. In year four, they may be a 95 or period one, two, three, four. Your job as a leader is not only to model the example, as Amir said so brilliantly, but to teach your employees to learn and to develop their skill set. By the way, he had a hard time doing that. He was a brilliant technician, but he was not necessarily a great team leader. The team leader multiplies the efforts of his or her team. And as we coached him to begin to, train his team, to help his team learn what he did, he discovered that they actually had insights and skills that he didn't have himself. So it's that the individual matters, but it's the team that matters more. And then the leader of the team, his or her job, is to multiply the team so that they learn, and hopefully the 100 becomes 110.
2: So Amit, to that end, if you notice, like you mentioned, you you were able to help with collaboration, and that did help. And Dave's point is to have the leader teach. In any hierarchy, which um, in, in an organization, you could be great, you could have the 100 IQ, and you start teaching, but you got your lieutenants who eventually end up having a direct interface with that team who need to be taught. So then what do you do with respect to these lieutenants? Do you hire the people who have that teaching attitude, or they themselves are... The, the, the top performers. What is, what is your approach to building your cabinet?
4: What my approach in building cabinet is to have the right culture, understanding of the culture. I think understanding of the culture that just Dave very elegantly put together is really a key that the lieutenant follow the same culture. Because if you don't have that culture mentality of building individuals, but team matters, I completely agree. The team's what makes and breaks the organizations. And and people are part of that, the individual's part of that. That's why I say it's two dimensions. You got the team and you got the individuals. And everybody has to work together. You have to have that collaboration mentality of the management all the way down from a leadership all the way down. And if you don't have your lieutenant's not going to be successful. Because you are now as a leader constantly fighting your managers. And your employees are, are really confused what direction they're going to take themselves. So, go ahead. Go ahead. So, that's the piece. I think this it has to be, they have to understand your culture as a leader.
2: See, when you mention about culture, I totally get it, where they would follow the culture or they will, in fact, help build a culture. But then we're talking about the very skills and competency of that lieutenant to be able to be that teacher, because if if this was as obvious, then they would not have to coach that top leader because the person might have thought that if I'm a great performer and if I follow or build a culture, rest will fall in place, but perhaps it doesn't. Let so me, the person had to learn how to teach.
4: Let, let me explain to you. The, the concept that people have problem with is getting themselves out of the technical field, especially in IT. They are, they are great individuals, some, some of them and even great team player in various small teams. When you get to a large team, they fail. If they're unable to change their way of doing by empowering the individuals and teaching the individual to be successful in the team, that's the piece that breaks all the time, especially in information technology.
2: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And When we come back, Dave, let's talk about the new age that we're living in, the style of building people, the approaches we took to motivate them, what we did in the industrial age or even the information age, which is now moving to something else, is changing, or at least the people's mindset of what motivates them, what gives them the passion. All that is changing. So, Are we, one is to say, okay, I'm going to lead and teach. Another is to have some systems and frameworks, some ways to measure it. How are we morphing those so that we are staying relevant in that regard? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. Now, back to the
2: show welcome back. So while I'd like to uh, start with the discussion on a digital and information age and how people are now differently working or behaving or thinking differently and what motivates and, and brings the passion. when we go into that discussion, but before that, Dave, I'd like to have you share your thoughts on the culture side, on what does it take to build a culture that we all desire.
3: Culture was the uh, Merriam-Webster Word of the Year a couple of years ago in 2015. The problem with the term culture is that it's all things to all people. It's like a giant inkblot test for psychologists. We believe culture is not an abstraction. It's very concrete and very real. Generally, what people do to define a culture is they have an away day. And they go away to some hotel and they say, what do we value? What is it critical to us? But they're not getting the culture right. Here's the approach we've taken that is very operational in dozens of companies. Culture is the identity of the firm or the department in the mind of your key customer. And so when you define a culture, it's not innovation for innovation's sake. It's what does innovation mean to our key customer? And until you can define the culture from the outside in, in terms of what we promise our customers, it's very hard to measure. And once you've defined it, it's very easy to measure. For example, a lot of firms say culture is service. Well, what does service mean to a customer, to somebody using our product? And once you operationalize that, culture is the internal practice of the firm brand. Stupid simple example, I travel quite a bit. I have a 12 hour flight, I show up in, a, in Pakistan, at a nice hotel. And the, and, the, and the gracious young man comes out to take my bag out of the taxi. And he says, sir, I give you service. And he grabs my suitcase and he takes off with it. Well, that's not what service means to me. I'm the guest. I'm the customer. So a few months ago, I grabbed it back. And he said, but I give you service. And I said, then go away. Service for me is what matters to me, the customer. Culture is very specific. It's not an abstract set of norms, values, beliefs, or principles. It's the norms, values, and beliefs that will cause customers to have a better experience. At Disney, the culture is guest service. That's because that's what customers pay a premium for. At at Amazon, the culture is very different. The reason most of us buy from Amazon is consistency, reliability, predictability. Well, they want to then have an internal culture that is very disciplined. And very rigorous because that's why customers buy. And so for me, this whole idea of organization multiplies people is to get the organization right by saying, what culture should we promise our customers that will give them a better experience using our services and then make that real to the employees?
2: Very well said. So, Amir, when you are looking at, for example, I'll, I'll take that actually the question that I'd asked you, Dave, earlier, but I'd like to build upon what you just said. So while culture and all that is being put in place and and it has to be uh, measurable or, or, or the changes because of the right culture has to be measurable. So, Amir, what have you done? to your approach to see whether whatever culture you've created, is, has that impacted the performance? Or, or when you're measuring people's uh, effectiveness, your, are you still doing performance reviews, given we are in an age where people just want to be left alone and, and do their thing and have more creativity in their regular workday? Uh, let me
4: first answer your first questions. Uh, we have an IT uh, strategic plan. That we set up and we measure and we assess moving forward, and one of the goals is to make sure we have organization excellence that has work for, you know ability to do professional development. We know we have the right organization. We have ability to communicate with employees in effective ways, and we also have, as they put it down very eloquently, is the the constant values around the, around our goals and our strategy plan. And how do we ma- measure all those values? How do our customers look at our values? And which is our customers, our, our faculty, students, staff, everybody on campus that we, we, we serve and be a partner with. Uh, so we have a plan in place that really we can look and measure and look at to see, we, make sure it's operationalized. So that's one piece of that. So when you're looking at a culture, just not seeing the culture itself, because as, as they put it, it's, it's very hard unless you, you, you have a good operational meaning to that culture, putting it together. So that's the first piece of that, so understanding the culture. The second is how do we make sure that our staff understand the culture, right, and make sure that innovations are in there. So we, we, we make sure those strategies that we set for those goals are communicated with everybody and everybody understands we are on the same page. I want to answer your st- the, the part about performance evaluations. I think performance evaluations, we have to do them because our HR requires us to do. I think it is, to me, I agree with you. I think performance evaluation happens on every day. Every day you evaluate the employees in a teamwork, individually, how they perform. I think that is more powerful than doing performance evaluation on a timely basis. I think employees need I understand innovations. they like uh, in, in a constant feedback. We are in an age that everybody can have that feedback loop on, on a constant basis. You send them an email back, you look at their work, you respond them on a team work, and they see the team and individual successful on daily or fail on a daily basis if they are not be able to perform on that level.
2: So, Dave, when we look at this HR function, this is interesting that on one hand, we want them to support and and play the role in workforce development and everything else that we can do with people, the ordinary people and the, the, the star performers. But we also don't invite them on a regular operation. So if, if something is going on in IT or marketing, frankly, HR doesn't know what they're doing. And if they don't know, they cannot just be brought in to do some procedural work, whereas they could have been able to uh, give very, very good and strategic input towards whether how to build a culture, how to help a pers- an individual, and how to work with the team, because I'm assuming they got degrees and their experience in that area. So is there a flaw in the way HR is even positioned in an organization?
3: I, I will take issue a little bit with that. We've uh, studied HR professionals for a long time, and HR brings three, te- three things to any business discussion in, in IT, in marketing, in finance, and the three questions HR should be addressing are talent, do we have competence, commitment, and meaning that we talked about, organization, do we have the right culture, do we have the right capabilities, and leadership, do the leaders of this organization model, as Amir so well said, what we assume people should do, the talent and the culture. Now, what we've discovered is HR is not the owner of those three things. Neither is IT the owner of information or digital. The owner of those things is the general manager. But HR should play two roles. One is to be the architect. If I build a home with an architect, I'm ultimately the owner of the home's decisions. I decide where the windows are and the staircases are. What the architect does is give me insights that I may not have had around In HR's case, talent, leadership, and culture. And the other thing an HR person does is they need to be an anthropologist. They need, as an anthropologist, to see what's going on that other people don't even ask for. And so we see good HR people not being the owner of of the HR talent, leadership, and culture practices, but being the architect to bring discipline and the anthropologist to bring insight. And in good companies, that's happening. Uh, we can give a lot of examples of that. But that's the agenda for a good HR person.
2: And frankly, what you just said is, would be a dream come true, but then the way uh, my personal interaction, the people who I know, and Amir, you may have your own flavors in terms of your experience. I know you're on air, so you cannot bash HR, but... <laughs> Um, the, the, the idea here is that I would love for them to partner more. So either it is uh, it is something's going on at the top level where they don't see HR in the same light as you just described, and that's why they are not empowered, because I see a lot of HR leaders complaining that while they would like to help, but their hands are tied behind their back, or they don't have the resources, so they cannot get those anthropologists, the ones that you mentioned, who would bring an insight. They are becoming more procedural. And here we are trying to work on people, and they are the ones who are supposed to help with the most. But in a way, we are, we are shooting our own foot. So, Amir, what do you think could be done where HR could become your best friend and, and help and work together and partner with you to get these ordinary people to deliver extraordinary results? I think HR needs to go from
4: transactional to a strategic direction. You need a strategic HR. You don't need a transactional HR. And and more and more organizations are really becoming a transactional HR. So you go them to hire somebody. You go them to you know let the employee go. You go them to do transactional. They need to be a proactive partner that understand the processes of today and ability to help you, as Dave put it together, is to help you really navigate the whole workforce development you know, professional development, ability to be able to be more proactive to the employees. How do we assist the managers that are struggling to work with individuals? We need, they need coaching to be able to make that work because they have to understand that relationship management in higher level, in another level, not on a transactional level, not on a disciplinary level, but understand how do we do these kind of things how do we de- enable people? When, when, when you ask them the concept of how do we, you have an employees that need to telecommute because of X, Y, Z, and because of the work-life balance, how do we enable that to the management? How do we bring the team together? How do we, when the team is struggling, how does, what are the, either the key factors to make it work better? So I think they need to understand your culture, your organizational culture, and help promote it. To your management team and be a partner with your managers, not as a compliance officer.
2: Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, when we come back, Dave, I'd like to bring in the, the fluidity of, of what's happening. So whatever strategies that you mentioned, we should do this, a leader should do, whatever uh, ways they can improve uh, or, or coach individuals. But frankly, on any given day, you may have someone who is a brand new entrant into your organization and is on the way to to showing that, okay, they could be a star performer. Uh, Someone who's a linchpin could become a a prima donna and becoming a pain. So you've got to deal with that person. And then you could have people who otherwise have strong potential. Either they are invisible or knowingly underutilized. And these, these combinations or these different balls that are there, they keep moving at different pace. What are we supposed to do with that type of a fluid environment to get the people who are not as out there, not the ones who are screaming at the top of their lungs, to tell, okay, this is what I can do, to come out and be their best? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Visit today.
1: Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
3: Voice America Business Network.
1: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Gall.
2: Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, while we are trying to get these ordinary people working along with star performance and a great leadership to get things done, but we can create strategies for something which is kind of a snapshot. But if things are changing, and you know, uh, Dave, as you must have already seen, the world around us is morphing and also, in some cases, fundamentally shifting. In the way we look at people, in the way people look at organizations, the way they want to work, all of that is shifting. So what do you think our strategy should be? Would it be a strategy of the month? Or could there be sustenance in the strategy that we use? Because for it to get executed, we have to start somewhere.
3: I'm going to go back to the research we've done that I think is just fascinating. It's the navigation of paradox. I think there's guardrails change on the one hand you got to adapt to change organizations that don't change as quickly as their environments will go out of business and the half-life of knowledge is getting shorter when is 50 percent of what i know out of date but there's another guardrail and it's stability and continuity if an organization simply chases change they're never going to catch up and they're probably going to lose over time if an organization maintains stability in the face of change, they're going to be out of date very quickly. And so the challenge is navigating this inherent paradox between stability and continuity around understanding customers, serving customers. Amazon's commitment is customers. So Amazon changes as customers change. And on the other guardrail, navigating change and managing the process of change. And and it's navigating that inherent tension between stability and change that allows organizations to succeed. And most organizations don't. Uh, The first Fortune 500 list, the 500 biggest companies in North America was about 1955. Today, 60 of those 500 companies still exist. There's an 87% failure rate because organizations get locked into stability more than flexibility. But the organizations that chase change and don't have continuity, don't survive either. And so it's navigating that inherent tension that we think becomes critical.
2: Amir, when you look at, say, if you plot your whole organization, right, your CIO, so, so you've got your IT people at different levels, would you be able to very clearly see, okay, this person is star performance and this person is an average worker with an average pay, with an average IQ or EQ? And the person has a place in the organization and I can then work on specific strategies or tactics to elevate this person. Are you able to, first of all, level them or put them in different levels and then be able to say, okay, this is my plan for it or you think that's not possible and you have to do broad stroking?
4: I, I personally think they're all externally people with external strengths. I look at things a different way. I think the goal is to make sure that we, we identify their strengths, make sure that they have ability to blossom. So if you look at putting them in a bucket, it, I don't put them in a bucket. I put them in a different talent set that, that make them blossom in different areas. And sometimes we don't look at their strengths in, in the right ways. And so I think it's important to identify everybody's strengths an ability to be able to develop on areas that they don't have a strength; they have less of a strength than some other areas. So I think everybody's, you know, in, have a different levels, and I think each of the projects you could use them as an extraordinary individual in a project in a role that supports the organization. And, and the people that are not stepping up to a level and a performance that you like them to or the manager or a team like to, you want to create an environment that helps the individual do that. So I think that's a very healthy organization. It becomes unhealthy when you look at examples of when individuals, really everybody around the team think the individual is pulling it down and, and is not playing part of a team. And you have to intervene and look at to see what happens to that whole organization. Is was the communication failed? Was the individual not empowered or or put in a position of a failure. So those kind of things we look at every day to move forward.
2: So that's great with the mindset. So Dave, I'm gonna come to you on the same question. One is to be the leader and the manager who feels good professionally that I developed or worked towards developing some people, but you have a job to do, you've got some projects to get done. And when you have something which is staring at you to say, okay, this is what my organization looked like. So do you create, as, as you in some cases mentioned, like 20, bottom 20 or upper 20. And like GE used to do, said every year they will remove the, fir- the bottom 10. Is that the best? Like change the people or change the people? type of uh, approach? Is that what's going to move us forward? Because you're trying to get the extraordinary results for the business, and you don't want to carry the baggage. Is that the approach we should take? Uh, first,
3: GE did that for two years, and they've had 20-year legacy effect from that. So I think those myths are often uh, compounded in, in, in I, uh, cyberspace. Uh, they didn't do that very long. And Uh, The fact is, I'm gonna go back to paradox. We need the A players, we need the superstars, but we also need the team players. And the challenge of leadership is to make both groups, uh, you don't make all B players A players, you make B players great at what they know how to do. And it goes back to that voice and engagement. It's how do I help a B player feel part of a vision, an opportunity, an incentive, an impact, so that I customize this work environment so that he or she finds meaning from the work that they do. And, and clearly, that's the direction that we see leaders taking to, to help employees. Uh, it's called an employee value proposition that, based on what they can contribute in their unique space, they will get back the things that matter most to them.
2: So, Amir, when you look at the type of technology investment that could be made in this regard... Which is to invest towards people. Yeah, we buy the tools and technologies. Do you think where we are today with analytics and everything else, do we have an opportunity here to deliver what we could not perhaps a decade ago on the people side? Absolutely.
4: I, I, I really think that, that the, the, the technology is helping. You know, assessment, we can assess things a lot better. We have better data uh, to look at things. And ability to change, and ability to make improvements, and and we uh, we have a lot of dynamic data gathering and data assessment, and and it will it will especially today with all the artificial intelligence that that also give you recommendation to change. So so I think the technology really helping people to identify their own behaviors in the organizations and how that affects. Their, their products and what they deliver to their customers and to their environment.
2: 30 seconds, Dave. What do you think is your message to the leaders out there who want to get these ordinary people to get to do the extraordinary?
3: Find out what matters to the people and then make them agents so that when they produce great work, they will get back from that great work the things that matter most to them. Become a multiplier and a teacher.
2: On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd like to thank you both, Amir and Dave, on how we can uh, get better, uh, the, the thoughts that you've shared on how we can get better with the culture or leadership or technology to get our regular staff to deliver extraordinary results and actually in the process meet the most ambitious business goals. Thanks so much again. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.
1: CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com.